Hello, friends. Thank you so much for tuning into The Pursuit. Today on the show, we have Garrett Dornfield. Garrett and I met a few weeks ago over social media, and we got to connect and discuss different ways that he's been able to find a better work-life balance. Today on the show, we're going to talk about how Garrett has been able to incorporate different habits in his life in order to find a better work-life balance, challenges he faced when he was trying to determine his major in college, and what he learned from working a minimum wage job as a valet worker. If you guys haven't done so already, give us a follow on Spotify or Apple Podcasts to stay connected, and we hope you enjoy the episode. My name's Adam Melamed, and welcome to The Pursuit. Whether you're outside getting some fresh air or hanging out with friends, get ready to be happier. Alrighty, today on the show we have Garrett Dornfeld. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'll give a little background info of how Garrett and I met each other. So a few weeks ago, I released an episode with Tim Humphreys and Garrett sent me a DM. He's like, hey man, I'll follow you if you let me be on the podcast. And you followed me first in my defense, though. So. Yeah, yeah. But it was cool. We, you know, we sparked a conversation, hopped on the phone, and just talked about how we kind of have this similar goal in mind of, you know, working hard, playing hard and having the most fun while you're, while you're working. We're just going to chat today, hear a little bit about Garrett's life and, you know, hear what wisdom he has to share with us. Do you want to give us a background info about yourself? Yeah, I'll try and make it as simple as possible. My life is kind of wild. I was originally born in Seattle, Washington, born and raised in the Pacific Northwest my whole life. When I was in about middle school or so, My mom, she grew up in Anchorage, Alaska, so she was like, okay, I really want the small town feel, so all everyone here is going to move over to eastern Washington right now, and that's what we did. We moved four hours east into the North Cascade Mountain Range to a town of 1,300 people, no stoplights, no McDonald's for 40 to 60 miles-ish, and I ended up finishing middle school out there and going to high school out there. So that was fun. I joke with my friends all the time that I'm both a country boy and a city boy. You know, I grew up, Hicks were dipping and driving big <laughs> trucks. And then also I had friends that like to go to the mall for fun. It was great. Super diverse friend group. But after I graduated high school, I really recognized that there's just not the same amount of opportunity in a small town that you get basically anywhere else. Any, If you have at minimum 50,000 people in your area, odds are you have a little more opportunity. And so I said, okay, forget this. Like, I got to get out of here. I, I might come back someday, but for now, I'm going to leave. I'm going to do something wild. And so my mom and I were searching, like trying to figure out what college to go to. Ended up finding this really small private Christian school called George Fox University. It was 20 miles south of Portland, Portland, Oregon. It was a booming economy at the time. And I was like, you know what? I don't know anybody. Let's go for it. And that's where I went to. Went there for three years, graduated, uh, and I've been living in the Portland area ever since, and I'm actually getting ready to move again. So, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. And so going from a town of 1,300 people to Portland, what were your expectations going from this little town to a bigger city? It was a weird one because, you know, I'd grown up in Seattle, and Seattle is, I think, three or four times the size of the whole Portland metro area at this point now. 
It's nothing compared to California, obviously. But my expectations were, okay, like getting to the grocery store is going to take me five, 10 minutes now. Life is going to be easier. It's going to, there are going to be a lot more conveniences. I'll be able to meet more people, be able to network easier. There's just so much more opportunity in a larger city, but also being very careful and like meeting as many people as you possibly can. Cause the more people, you know, one connection leads to another. And before you know it, you've met the person who's offering you a job basically, or is your lifelong friend or wife, or I don't, I don't know, but you know, mm-hmm. it's just kind of like in a small town, you know, everybody, I couldn't go to the grocery store without seeing at least five people that I knew and going to a big city, big city, you're like, ah, it's different for sure. But I mean, I don't know. It's kind of what you make of it. You know, there's opportunity in a small town. There's opportunity in a big one. You just need to find them or make Definitely. them. Yeah, no, I agree. I don't know if you've heard of Jocko Willinks, but he talks about manufacturing luck. And I think that is such a, a true statement. Like, yes, luck can come here and there, but if you make an opportunity out of nothing, that's really where things go. Yeah, I followed Jocko for a bit and I was like, man, I just can't get up at 4 a.m. every morning, <laughs> live on six hours of sleep a night, maybe when I'm 45 and a retired Navy SEAL, but I don't yeah. think that's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I totally I agree. 4 a.m. is too early for me. <laughs> <laughs> so moving to Portland and starting school out there, it seems like you're very ambitious, very motivated. You know, you hit the ground running. Like, what did you start doing when you went to school and moved out there? Yeah, so I originally came to George Fox with the intention of double majoring in computer science and economics. I took a lot of community college classes in high school and econ was one of them. Found out I really liked it, it made sense, and I kind of had a knack for it too. So when you have a knack for something, it kind of motivates you to want to do it more. That was the goal. And then halfway through the second semester of computer science classes, I was taking a Java midterm. And I was like, man, I don't know anything on this exam. I need to go change my major like yesterday. The registrar office was like, I have no idea what I'm doing with my life. Just get me out of computer science. Like I'll figure out another job to have. And so the whole rest of that, like I hit the ground running in school. And then after that first year, like I was determined to drop out. Like I was calling my parents on a daily basis basically saying hey like i don't want to be here anymore i can't fathom like paying this much money for a degree that's not even going to guarantee me a job in the long run and they were like well you graduated with your associate's degree while you were in high school so you might as well just finish out the year or two that you have left Mm -hmm. and i said fine whatever mom is always right and as i've come to know she really always is that whole summer i worked as a valet at a fancy hotel in the area and it was really fun got to meet a lot of people i would always ask people what did you do for a living because these people would drive up in these nice lamborghinis or mercedes amgs or you know i've driven so many different luxury cars and sports cars just from being a valet working minimum wage it was really fun but the resounding response i always got was I work in finance, I work in real estate, I'm an investment manager, wealth manager, I'm in private equity, all of these other things. I'm like, I wonder what finance is all about. You know, it's kind of a black box of nothingness. I know, I guess you could say like, it's got a a lot of different aspects to it. And so basically, I came into the school, you're like, okay, maybe I'll major in finance, like, we'll see what happens. And then I found out that I was doing my accounting homework for fun in my spare time. I would just be sitting (laughs) on my bed, you know, going through the general ledger accounts, you know, trying to tie out the balance sheet to the income statement and cash flow statement. And I was like, okay, something's up here. Like I need to get a technical skill so I can be solid in the workforce, but 
I also want to like learn something that's applicable and turns out accounting and finance are two very applicable things. Mm-hmm. So in hitting the ground running in school, my freshman year was kind of like trying to find yourself, which I kind of hate because it's like, while you're trying to find yourself, you should not be sitting around like waiting for that thing to come down the door. I'm really big on if you don't know what you're doing, do something. And that something for me was staying in school and being a valet at a hotel. And it it worked out okay. Ended up graduating with a major in finance and minors in accounting and economics. So, I mean, just going through the motions and being like, okay, like I'm hanging out with my friends. I'm able to. I am maintaining a B or better grade, grade point average right now. I didn't have the best grades, but A's and C's equal out to B's. So, I mean... <laughs> beating the system over here and then also like meeting as many people as I possibly can working a few jobs all while in school and it was just super fun I got I get energy from being busy from running from one place to the other doing a group project hanging out with friends and also working too like it's fun I love it I love being busy and right now I'm not currently working I'm in the transition to a new job and I don't know what to do with myself to be honest with you Mm There's a few things I want to touch on from what you were saying. First off, with the grade thing, I have an uncle that always says that the A students work for the C students. So <laughs> that's his big, that's a big life lesson that he's taught us over the years. And secondly, I wanted to talk a little bit more about the valet gig. I know that you, you know, the job itself may have not been like a super educational or life-changing experience, but it seems like the people inspired you to want to pursue something that you were passionate about. Yeah, definitely. Would you say that there is like a specific encounter or an instance where like, wow, this is, you know, I now I really want to pursue finance. This is something I'm passionate about. Yeah, I'll touch on the grade one first. Yeah. It's a little shorter winded. Mm-hmm. Grades matter. They definitely do. I do not think they should be the end all be all like measurement of what you put yourself worth. And basically my philosophy was always I'm paying for the degree. I just need to get the grades to get that degree. We were in accounting once and the professor was breaking down how many hours you spend in the classroom plus homework and the dollar amount per hour that is for tuition. And it Mm -hmm. was like some ridiculous amount of like a grand or maybe 500 bucks or something. And I raised my hand and I told him, you know, hey, I'm actually paying a lump sum amount over the course of three years to get the piece of paper that says I can be hired somewhere. And he didn't like that answer. But that was just that's just been my philosophy, you know. I always wanted to maintain a 3.0 or better GPA because for me personally, that's holding myself to some type of standard. I could have gotten away with getting a two something GPA, but I may not have learned half the things that I did, especially in a major like finance or econ or accounting. Like you need to be able to regurgitate that information when you're doing the job or when you're in an interview or at least being able to conceptualize to a future employer, like how you have learned something that's applicable now and what you've learned since doing that, basically. That's just been my philosophy. It's like, hey, if you just need to get the degree to get the job, get the degree to get the job. Have fun, work hard, and hang out with as many friends as you can. Meet as many people as you can. There's pluses and minuses to it. But if you're ever trying to get to grad school and a year or two, then your GPA may not be sufficient. You might need to make that up with years of experience. Mm-hmm. So that's my philosophy behind grades. Working as a valet, it was such a great job because this was a hotel that charged, I think it was like 450 bucks a night 
first wow. day, like the basic, okay? And it was cool. George Fox University is located in the Willamette Valley in Oregon. I met a lot of people from Europe who were like, this is the Pinot Noir capital of the world. And I'm like, man, I don't even know what wine tastes like. Like, I should probably <laughs> know that. And just talking to them. And I, I don't think it was really like one instance of like, oh man, this guy's making me want to do finance. It was just an accumulation over time of so many people telling me the same thing. Hey, I manage my money well. I raised a good family. I work in this industry or I am this position. I drove the CFO of Jordan brand, the subsidiary of Nike to and from dinner once. And I got to talk to him about his job and what he liked most. And also about like his family life and what he liked and disliked about working for Jordan and everything. And it was just so cool. Like some of these people are so high status, like they get out of a $500,000 car that I get to park and then they give me a tip for doing the easiest job ever. Yeah. But it was just like doing that for an entire summer made me realize like kind of who I want to be when I grow up and being able to turn around back to the person behind me and say, hey, like I do this, you could do the same thing or you can do something else. It's up to you. If you don't like something, you're not going to succeed in it basically. But there are certain circumstances where you just need to tough it out. You know, there, there's no perfect life, I don't think. So if you need a job idea for the summer, be a valet. <laughs> yeah, you, get, you might get to drive the CFO of Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> That's epic. It sounds like you got to talk to the guy for a little bit. What'd you, what'd you learn from him? Like, what was your biggest takeaway from that conversation? I remember one thing where I asked him, what was your favorite aspect of your job? This was four years ago. And he said, I get to meet with Michael Jordan on a quarterly basis. I'm like, man, that's so cool. But he was such a normal guy. Like if you saw him in a grocery store, you wouldn't know he was the CFO. He was probably wearing some sweet shoes. But I mean, for the most part, he was just, he was normal. And that was kind of my first introduction to talking to like a senior, really senior level manager at a company. And it was always, you know, work hard, put in the time, surround yourself with good people and turn around and mentor the people behind you. And it's like, I can't, I can't wait to get into a position where I can do that. You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that was my biggest takeaway. Definitely. When you started looking for mentors, what, what were the steps that you took? I didn't really take any steps to be honest. And I think it's important to have like one or two mentors that are in your life to kind of see you grow and develop. I remember this quote from when I was in high school. It's pretty difficult to see the painting when you are the painting or you are the picture. And so you need that outside perception looking into your life to be like, hey, you're messing up over here. You should do this or you should think about this or, oh, you're doing really good over here. Do this thing so that you can keep doing really good over there, basically, whether that's sleeping more, eating better, working longer hours, whatever that might be. And so for me personally, I had I think my dad honestly was a really good mentor in my life. He's he's the hardest worker I've ever met. He, we joke all the time. If he wasn't married to my mom, he'd live in a condo and he would work 6am to 6pm every day. And then he would watch ESPN until he fell asleep every night. That's what he would do seven days a week, 365 days a year, like hundred percent. And I saw that and I was like, okay, so I'm going to take the work hard aspect of that and try my best to apply that to my life. And then I also had someone else outside through church who I was like, Hey, like, can we grab coffee? And I never had the conversation of saying, Hey, will you be my mentor? It was always, Hey, can we grab coffee sometime next week? And then after that coffee meeting be like, Hey, can we follow up again in a month or two? 
And so it's a lot for me, it's always been so much less formal. And then also like DMing random people on LinkedIn or Instagram, for instance, and being like, hey, can I talk to you about what you're doing and where you are and how you got there? Because I want to be like you. And just saying that goes so far because so many people are like, oh, I'd love to tell you about myself and my story and everything that I've done. And it's great. I love it. I love hearing about other people's successes and what they've done. I remember this one quote that said something like, a good artist copies another artist, but a great artist steals. And so it's like, oh, I'm going to steal what you did to get to your position. And it's not the same thing, obviously, but you can learn a lot from other people. It's important De to do that. Definitely. I think talking on this, the concept of the work, like working hard and playing hard, it sounds like from what you're saying about your father is that he worked really hard. What aspects do you take away from his life and what aspects or things do you incorporate in your life to find that balance? One thing that I noticed was that like when I wanted to do fun things, my dad either didn't want to do them with me or couldn't do them with me because of physical limitations, lack of balance, et cetera. What I took away from that was someday when I have a family, I want to be able to do those fun things with my kids. I want to ride dirt bikes or motorcycles with my kids in the future. I want to work on the cars with them because my dad never did that. And so I guess part of that is, oh, my mom was a fun person. So I had a really good even balance growing up of, yeah, I'll work myself to death. But also when it's time to vacation, it's time to vacation and have some fun. So there's such a, I hate the word that work-life balance, but it does exist <laughs> and it's very important. So, well, as far as like detaching from work, what are some things that you do in order to, you know, unwind or focus more on the relaxation when you're done working? Yeah. So back when we were in the office, I really enjoyed being the last person to leave. I got in a really good habit sometimes of showing up at about 7, 7.30 when there was one other person in the office, but she always left at about 3.30 or 4. And I got to stay until like 5.30 or 6. And it was like so nice to just work in some silence in the mornings and evenings. And then you're full of meetings, random requests throughout the day, all of that. And it gets super hectic. And so staying in the office for an extra 30 to 45 minutes sometimes was how I would kind of decompress from the day. Like even if it was just sitting in my chair, drinking stale coffee that was made this morning, I don't know, mm. or at lunchtime, I guess. That's how I would decompress. But also knowing like, oh, it's been a wild week. It's Friday. I'm going to take off at 3.30. I was a salaried employee. And so I had a little bit of flexibility in when I worked and when I came into the office, as long as I got my stuff done. But if a fire had to be put out on Friday, fire had to be put out and stay late, work, who cares? I'll pay it off next week when I get off at two o'clock on Friday and go grab happy hour with coworkers or friends. Or I had a buddy, he worked for the Portland Trailblazers actually. And so the Moda Center was right down the street from my uh, work building. Mm -hmm. And so some days after work, like we would eat at Red Robin and then we'd walk down, get free tickets to the game and like enjoy a good game. I'd get home at 10.30 and I was super tired the next day. But I mean, it was fun to just be like, yeah, I can't even do anything at work because my phone is, I can't even talk, talk to anyone. Just being able to like completely shut everything off and be like, nope, I'm done. If you need me, you can call me on my personal cell, but the world has to be on fire in order for you to reach me basically. And so yeah. being able to have that even divide of, yeah, I know my laptop is right there at the end of the day or my phone's right there at the end of the day, I could easily check my email. But even if I do check my email, I'm not going to act on it until tomorrow. So what's the point of even looking right now? But it also depends on your job. If you need to be available, like you have to be available. 
So take a vacation, take some time off, be like, Hey, I need to go to a beach in Jamaica right now or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. From my understanding of you know, trying to find this work-life balance, it doesn't just come immediately. What were things that you encountered along the way and things that you were like, Oh, maybe I'll try this. Maybe I'll try that. That eventually led to where you are now. Yeah. So there was a point when I first started out where I was like, I was working a lot of hours for a long time. And I remember waking up on a Saturday at like 10:30 AM. And I was like, I don't feel good. Like I feel pretty miserable right now. Something needs to change. And so I kind of thought back, okay, how many hours a week did I work last week? 60. What about the week before 65? How many hours was I in the office? Oh, 50. Okay. We should do more of that. And just being able to either build up your tolerance to working that much or manage it a lot better and be like, Hey, I'm going to go work from home later this afternoon so I can grab some good food to eat. I'll make some dinner at home and then like just answer emails for another 30 minutes and then call it good. And then I also realized I wasn't having any fun outside of work. And so I got super into snowboarding last year, bought a season's pass, went up every single weekend that I possibly could. Mount Hood had a resort that was pretty close to my work. So sometimes I would take off at two or three and I'd drive up to hood and they had night skiing until 10 o'clock on weekdays. And that's what I did. I'd get a couple hours of turns in and it was great, you know, just being able to say, okay, I worked really hard. I'm going to go play really hard. So I'm going to go 60 miles an hour on a snowboard. I'm going to hit the cliff that I probably shouldn't hit. I have health insurance, so I'm safe, right? <laughs> yeah, it was interesting. One of the earlier episodes I recorded was with one of my buddies, Alejandro Suarez, who graduated from West Point in June. And wow. his biggest thing, yeah, absolutely incredible individual. But he was explaining, like, you know, going through all this insanely challenging work, the biggest thing is finding a release. I think. Mm -hmm. It aligns with everyone. Like you're saying, you were working 50, 60 hours a week and you found snowboarding to be a release. Being able to find something that you could just completely unwind and go and enjoy yourself and not have to worry about the distractions or stresses that you were experiencing prior that day. Yeah, definitely. And then last summer, the summer before that, I realized that snow melts. And so I was like, I need something else now. And I got a motorcycle and that is a whole other can of worms. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. So you came in comp sci economics, decided those weren't for you after that midterm. Nope. What was the process like, you know, trying to figure out what you wanted to do? That whole freshman year, I made it a goal to talk to every senior that I met or saw and was like, what are you doing after graduation? Like, what did you study? What do you want to do? And the resounding answer was, I studied this. I have no idea what I'm doing after I graduate. And so then I was like, well, crap, what am I going to do? And so I started, this is the worst. I looked on the Bureau of Labor Statistics website to see what the employment forecast looked like for the next 10 years. <laughs> Computer, yeah, I know, right? Like 18-year-old Garrett was like, yeah, I'm going to go on a government website and see, check it out. And I'm, I'm happy I did, but turns out computer science, like IT services, engineering, those were all top three. I wasn't trying to be in college for five years. It really just came down to taking the right class with the right professor and really figuring out, okay, I actually really enjoy this and I'm going to run with it and I'm going to get to know everything about it. So, you know, I meet a lot of people who are undecided or don't really know what they want to do with their lives. And it's like, well, the only way to really figure that out is to do something. You got to do stuff. So, I mean, 
it was just taking enough business classes to finally like flip that rock and be like, oh, this is what I think I might be good at. Let's do it. And then after that point, I was like, okay, I'm going to be the senior on graduation day that knows what they're going to do with their lives. I got to that point and I had no idea what I was going to do with my life. I mean, I'd worked in an accounting firm. I had applied to like a hundred jobs the summer before and got no callbacks at all whatsoever. And I was like, oh my gosh, what is going to happen? And the cliche of everything works out for a reason. It does, but you can sometimes attribute it to the people that you talked to or the people that you met, even someone that you smiled at in the hallway or hung out with on a random Thursday night in a weird group of friends that their dad ends up owning a venture capital. Like I, that happened yeah. with one of my friends. Uh, you just meet the right people at the right time. And so, yeah, for me personally, like trying to figure out what even just what I wanted to major in, it came down to taking the right classes, stuff that I thought that I might be interested in after talking to other students, talking to the registrar, making sure that it made sense and it was worth it cross-checking it with the economic projections, even though those are those are in the wind right now. Nobody knows what's going to happen with those things right now. Yeah. But also being like, is this relevant in the market? Because college is really great for your bubble, but if you believe that you're going to be in a bubble the rest of your life, then you're unfortunately living in a fantasy world. And, you know, it, the bubble's great, honestly. While you're there, I had so much fun. I made lifelong friends there, but man, when I left, it was just an utter shock of, oh, this actually doesn't last for forever. I can't stay up until 3 a.m. anymore. I physically cannot stay up until 2 a.m. now. Like <laughs> bedtime minimum is midnight now. But yeah, life changes once you graduate. And so my thought process has always been, I'm going to have a 10-year plan. I'm going to have these certain marks that I want to get to. And if something different comes along, like I'm going to go for it uh, 100%. I'm going to constantly be changing my 10-year plan. My 10-year plan is not going to be what it looks like 10 years from now, I'll tell you that. Or even mm -hmm. tomorrow, honestly, it's changing on a daily basis. So, I was thinking of this question as we were talking earlier, but what is one of those things you have five years down the road? What is a goal or somewhere you want to be? Yeah, five years down the road, that's a good one. Getting my MBA and becoming a manager at a company are two goals of mine right now. I can tell you that last year, those were not goals. I had no <laughs> idea that I wanted to do that, but yeah, maybe own a house, maybe not, maybe get married. I don't know. <laughs> you know it's all down family. the line, right? Yeah, yeah, dude. Family's important, but I mean, I love to work, so I don't know. We'll see what happens. Yeah, I think that's a, it's a good way to go about it, especially during this whole pandemic with coronaviruses. You know, let's just roll it then, see where it takes me, because you really, you, you're only in control of what you can do, and sometimes, you know, shit hits a fan and you're like well what's next right <laughs> someone told me once that if you don't like something change it and if you can't change it change your attitude and i'm like well i mean my attitude's been in the garbage since covid happened i think and so maybe i can change that i can't make a pandemic go away nobody can apparently so yeah um, yeah life is different right now that's for sure <laughs> what would you say what is something you've learned or changed about yourself throughout this whole pandemic Something that I've learned about myself was that I love to be around people so much that the quality of people that I would spend a lot of time with sometimes was not always prime, if that makes sense. And I'm down to hang out with anyone, but there's a limit now. Like I was out at dinner with some friends last week and 
it was like 8.30. And I said, all right, guys, I'm going to take off because I don't want to be here anymore. And they're like, wait, what? Like, I used to be the person that said, no, let's go to the next place or let's stay out until 11.30 midnight and just hang out and talk. But I realized like from COVID and being in quarantine for like a month and a half, two months, something like that, it was like, I, I went through a depression phase of, oh, I don't have the energy of other people anymore. And now I've, I think I've become a little more self-sufficient in that sense of, I don't need other people to feel energy anymore. It comes from inside. And so, yeah, I, I learned a little bit about myself over COVID being locked in a, this four walls of a bedroom <laughs> and my desk and work. So <laughs> yeah. What about you? What's something you learned about yourself from COVID? I've gotten quite a bit of time to reflect on this and talk about it with like friends and family. But the biggest thing for me is like just being creative. I would say I was definitely more creative before coming to college just because most of my coursework was very like math and analytical based, but Mm -hmm. starting this podcast, learning how to do marketing and building a brand. It's nice to kind of tap into that creative creativity side of things you know, this is a few months ago, but people were making bread, people were painting, people were doing all these crazy things that they didn't have time to do, or they didn't know they were capable of doing. And I think that's what's really cool. Yeah, definitely. I learned how to cook, kind of. I can do more (laughs) than pour a bowl of cereal now. (laughs) But yeah, there you go. You learned something from this whole thing, right? (laughs) Oh, yeah. I really liked what you said about if you can't change it, change your attitude. And I think that applies so much to everything that's happening right now with you know like you said you're you're confined and stuck in this room but you could really only change your attitude as far as how you're going to approach work how you're going to approach relationships and friends and it's such a crucial part of life yeah definitely you know locking yourself in a room like people go insane from it sometimes but if you can figure out how to calm down for a second slow down like you can learn a lot about yourself i think we get lost in the fact that a cell phone has endless scrolling and emails always there and you know you can get lost in reddit pretty quickly because i definitely have but yeah take a breather people (laughs) the world would be a little calmer i second that well i I like to end it on this question but for people that are struggling or going through a tough period of their life right now what advice can you give to them i think my advice would be two things The first one is understand where that negative energy or the negativity is coming from. It could be uh, your friends, your family, social media, your coworkers, even figure out what the root of the problem is. That's the first step in solving any problem, figure it out. And I'm a very much problem solver, critical thinker. So this may not be good advice for some people. But that's what my advice would be is figure out what exactly the problem is and then start thinking about next steps to address it. Do I need to start hanging out with this person less? Do I need to start hanging out with this person more because they're a positive influence in my life? Do I need to quit my job or talk to my manager about how my team member or coworker is treating me at work? Do I need to move a city or state? Like that's, it's not impossible. There's always possible and impossible. So people Mm -hmm. forget that sometimes. And if other people have done it before, you can too. That's just the bare minimum things. What else? Yeah. If you don't know what you're doing with your life, do something. Don't sit around, like get a, some type of customer service job, pour concrete 
or for a general contractor, like learn some type of skill that can actually be beneficial, even if you don't make it your living again. And I, I would also say to you, last thing, don't worry too much about trying to find your purpose, because I don't think trying to find your purpose is something that you wake up one day and be like, I was born to do this. Some people, that is the case. But for the vast majority of us, it's not. And you're not going to find it sitting on your rear end, watching Netflix every night or scrolling through social media. You're going to find it by going out and doing something. So that's my last piece of advice, I guess you could say. I hope that was somewhat helpful to somebody. <laughs> yeah, no, that was great. And I think what's really cool about you reaching out is that, you know, you have your own outlook, your own perspective on life, and there will be people that will connect with your story, connect with your advice. And I, I'm excited to see or hear from people like what they learned from Gary, you know, cause I, you did, you provided some really, really fantastic advice. And, you know, I think that's, that's what's really cool about society as a whole is that you could speak to anyone and you will learn something from, from one person you know, regardless of their age or status, et cetera. Yeah. It may be how not to do something too. I've found a lot of use in that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, Garrett, it was a pleasure having you on the show and hopefully we'll be snowboarding up in Mount Hood in the near future. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great, Adam. Thanks so much for having me on. All right, man. Have a good one. You too. We hope you guys enjoyed this episode with Garrett Dornfield. I learned quite a bit about what it's like to find a better work-life balance working a 60-hour week. It was very cool to connect with Garrett and talk about his mindset and some different ways that he's been able to improve his life by incorporating little habits. We hope that Garrett's perspective has inspired and motivated you to continue to want to work hard and achieve those goals that you have in mind. Check out The Pursuit on Instagram and Facebook at The Pursuit Podcast Official and our website, thepursuitofficial.com to stay connected and check out additional content. We hope you guys have a fantastic day and stay safe, everyone.